Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Derek Apinovich, Chief Operating Officer at Osmosis, and today I'm happy to welcome Andrew Dos Santos to Raise the Line. Andrew is the founder, president, and CEO of Phoenix Alma Solutions, an edtech startup which recently launched a curriculum management platform called Vita Nova VLE. The system helps educators track and deliver health sciences education through data visualization and curriculum mapping tools. Users of Vita Nova VLE can also see where learners excel and where they are struggling. Before launching Phoenix Alma Solutions, Andrew led EdTech initiatives within health sciences education and hospital networks for over 20 years. Thanks so much for being with us today, Andrew. My pleasure, Derek. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to have the opportunity. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, we'd like to get started with learning more about you and what first got you interested in technology and healthcare. Sure, absolutely. So me personally, I really enjoy problem solving and I like tech. So when it came to determining my career path, I gravitated towards software development as a way to satisfy both those interests. I worked towards an education as a computer programmer analyst. And in the final year of that program, we had a placement requirement and the academic teaching hospital here had a position available that I targeted and was successful in getting as I was intrigued by the potential for developing software that can help solve healthcare related problems. During that placement, I was able to do some development on a surgical waitlist solution and so that was really rewarding for me, knowing that I was able to help solve a serious healthcare-related challenge through software development. You have any healthcare providers in the family that you looked up to? No, I I don't actually. No, it's it was just you know a very organic situation where I was you know there were other opportunities as far as you know not just healthcare education but education as a whole. There was you know some other startups in the area that had positions available in different you know, verticals or realms, if you would, but I'm not sure what it was that really, you know, made me think, hey, healthcare is the place to be other than trying to, you know, maybe do some some good through that problem solving, you know, versus, you know, just a, maybe a typical or, or, or a different situation where you might just be, you know, trying to create a solution that's going to, you know, be the next unicorn kind of thing. Okay. No, fantastic. And you've had a diverse background. You've worked as a programmer, you've worked at a school, at a technology company, and now we're starting something new. How have all these experiences come together to lead you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess just give it a bit more background on what you just spoke to. So after graduating and my placement ended, I was hired as a web developer working for that hospital. I was charged with developing a solution for tracking faculty research contributions along with the physician credentialing platform. So two very different problems to solve. And both were very rewarding in their own way. Obviously, one more education and research focused and one more administrative focused. Once development of those solutions were completed, the ownership of those platforms was actually transferred to the Faculty of Health Sciences, again, working closely with the teaching hospital. They were, they were partners. So that health sciences, the Faculty of Health Sciences within the university, apologies, and I that took ownership of that, I was hired to continue developing those platforms. So over time, my role and responsibilities grew. As you mentioned, I was able to work my way up through different roles, including senior business analyst. I then became manager of the EdTech unit. Uh, and then I was also the competency-based medical education technical lead, which was a pretty cool uh, experience. And then finally, I was the director of IT for the Faculty of Health Sciences. And so through those roles, I was able to work closely with many different stakeholders, including learners, staff, and faculty, which ultimately really provided me with intimate insight into the problems they faced on a daily basis within the healthcare education space and how important it was to provide solutions to those problems. So working so closely with the range of stakeholders we had, I really developed a passion for healthcare education and for solving the, the challenges they faced and anticipating the needs that I try to make sure we are developing not only solutions to solve problems of, 
you know, that already exists or problems of the past, if you will, but also for ones that we see coming thanks in part to those close relationships with the learners and physician educators. That's fantastic. Now, the healthcare economy is so large and a lot of people who work in the healthcare economy, including myself, are, are not clinicians. We didn't go to medical school. So what are the, I guess, advantages and maybe disadvantages in your career of, of not being a clinician, but being so involved working with doctors and yeah. faculty members at medical schools? Yeah. I mean, obviously disadvantages, I, you know, I could never truly put myself in their shoes, so to speak. Right. I, I didn't have that exact experience that I could draw from to, to get a better, even better understanding of the problems they face. But you know, being able to work so closely with them embedded within an institution and then working with external other institutions who were collaborating with us over the years, it was really a, a huge advantage for me as an IT professional and a software developer at heart way back when to, to really be able to learn intimately, you know, information about what they do and, and, and the curriculum, et cetera, that allowed me to sort of think outside the box of just typical, here are our requirements, now go build the solution. I was able to to have the conversations with them and, and not necessarily challenge what they thought they needed, but that ask why and really get to have that that intimate knowledge transferred back and forth. And, you know, jokingly, it was at one conference one year and a, and a, and a clinician educator faculty member from another institution came up. We were exhibiting at, a, at our booth and we had a great conversation about competency-based medical education. And by the end of it, he asked, he, he said, so you are a clinician, right? A faculty member. I said, no, no, I'm just, mm. a, you know, I was just a software developer by, by nature, but it really allowed me to, to to learn through osmosis, I guess, if you will, you know, and being embedded as I was things that, you know, maybe a typical, you know, someone trying to solve a problem from a tech perspective wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be able to get to. No, that's very in- insightful. I appreciate that. And and I guess over this 20 year interaction you know, with physicians and medical schools, how have things evolved? You know, if you look back on time, over this two-decade period to, to where you are today, embarking on a new venture. What has changed and what has remained the same in terms of the needs of these medical schools? Yeah, so and I, I think we're probably going to talk a bit about trends a little bit later, but and I'm, so I might, be, I might be touching on a bit of that now, but really the, the, at least, you know, so I'm, I'm born and raised here in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, a little small town, but our university was one of the first ones to transition all of its GME programs, all 29 of them, to that competency-based medical education model. And so that, that is a huge change. I know that model's been around for a long time, but not necessarily implemented. So having been through that and, and worked through to develop a solution to support that, that, that was a big change just from a pedagogical perspective that we saw. I think as far as what's remained the same is, you know, a lot of the institutions are still faced with the same challenges on a day-to-day basis. There's, there's no necessarily, you know, there's never a perfect solution, but there hasn't been necessarily a great solution available for them to help you know, overcome some of the challenges they face that are as a result of basically having disparate systems that aren't connected, that don't talk to each other very well and result in a lot of manual data processes. And of course, because of that, some manual errors that happen. So everything from facing accreditation to trying to go through curricular reform, they're still struggling with a lot of the same challenges they've faced for, for decades. So with, with this new venture, very curious about the name of the company, how that came to be. Maybe if you can give us a little bit of background on that for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, 
I, so I've, I am of Portuguese descent. And when I decided to create the company with my team and I, we, we, you know, we struggled to necessarily come up with a unique name for both the company and the product. That's it was very difficult to do these days as there are so many companies and products out there in different spaces that, that, that already have some names taken. So again, because of my Portuguese descent, I thought, let's try to think of words that we really believe in and that, that, that help speak to what and who we are as a company and see if we can find some translations there from from another language. And it just so happened that Portuguese worked out really well and obviously is close to home for me. So Phoenix Alma actually stands for or translates to, I should say, Phoenix Soul. Phoenix because we are believing and trying to breathe new life into this space, this health sciences, education, technology space. And Alma for Soul because we are truly passionate about this. Again, having spent 20 years, give or take, embedded within an institution and working so closely with learners and physician educators educators. It was something that that's really dear to me and, and we're passionate about. So we, we we put those two things together. And then from the product perspective, our, our, our product is called Vida Nova VLE. And uh, Vida Nova translates to new life, again, speaking to breathing new life into this space. And the VLE stands for virtual learning environment. Okay, I appreciate that. And maybe talk a little bit more about your platform, Vida Nova VLE. How is it distinguishing itself in the marketplace? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, for us, one, it's both the product and the company to us is help is what distinguishes us in the in the space. So for one, it's our customer first approach, being able to basically continue on with that that approach that works so well for me and 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 the team in working so closely with faculty and and staff and and the learners themselves. Being able to continue that type of approach is key for us because we know that that's the the way to you know, it's going to allow us to develop through the windshield of health sciences education versus just necessarily the the, the rear view mirror, if you will. So, you know, and for Vita Nova itself, it's more than just a learning management system and more than just a curriculum management system. We're striving to make it the complete solution for delivering health sciences education. So again, over the last 20 years working in the space so closely with faculty and staff became absolutely clear to me that those disconnected disparate systems weren't the answer uh, that we spoke about a little bit earlier. And this is the landscape most institutions, like I said, are still working within. So ultimately, that approach sets institutions up to struggle when it comes to things like accreditation and understanding where and when their curriculum is, is taught and assessed, resulting in poor experience for all involved, especially the learners and the faculty. So having built a bespoke solution previously that later we tried to implement for others, I learned a lot about what works and what doesn't. And the barriers that can sometimes be created by building an enterprise level platform that's developed in a confined and sort of reactive way versus building an extensible solution using a proactive methodology. And, and that's really what speaks to, you know, again, our customer first approach on our current focus and our current focus, I should say, of selecting a few flagship institutions that will help continue to inform our development as we continue to proactively grow the platform. So being able to build Vita Nova VLE in that proactive way with respect to our health science education expertise and secret sauce, if you will, while leveraging an established modular open source LMS or learning management system it really gives us the best of both worlds. So we've got that already well-established functionality baked into our core product and us adding in and weaving in those different health sciences specific pieces is really the, the, the takeaway, I think, as far as what separates us. At Osmosis, we always look at utilization rates of our learners and how much are they using the product. The faculty, we send them information and data, and and when it's really humming, we we, we kind of know, you know, those utilization rates are high. The faculty are engaged. What's been the difference for you when you have a, a partnership where it's doing everything you'd like it to be doing versus one that might be struggling to to get moving? Like, what is it about an institution or your sponsor at that institution which just makes that partnership really hum? Ultimately, it's that what I like to call iterative collaborative approach to basically anything we do, whether it's developing a new feature 
or working on identifying priorities. And, and that's, that's actually a process we go through when we first onboard a new institution is we, we work through, you know, what are their, their sort of high yield targets and, and priorities that they're looking to, and, and, and issues or obstacles, if you will, that they're looking to overcome. And we develop obviously our work back schedule off of that and, and create a custom implementation timeline. So that's really what makes it hum is having a partnership there with, with the folks on the ground at the institution who really know the, 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 the real issues, because oftentimes issues are the same or similar, but the priority of those issues can differ between institutions. So we work closely with them and that's really what gets it humming is that, that iterative collaborative approach to, Hey, you know what? I know we identified this as a priority three weeks ago, but actually we, we, we now see this as more of a pressing issue that we'd really love to implement this feature from VWVLE to handle right now if we can. So be able to pivot and, and work closely. That, that really is what makes it hum. In terms of tracking student performance, maybe give an example for the audience on what your platform can do, maybe compared to some other options that, that could be out there. And, and what are the faculty and administration, what are they often asking for in terms of tracking student performance in this setting? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one major problem we've encountered over and over again prior to developing Vitanova VLE was the inability to visualize curriculum in an intuitive way that can ultimately show learners how they're performing and how various curriculum or curricular taxonomies relate to one another. So, you know, one of the first things we did is we've developed our taxonomy management module, and that will allow institutions to build out their curriculum in a very visual concept map-like view. So as opposed to just a table with list of items, they can actually see how these things are, are, are physically related and connected to each other, or virtually, I guess I should say. So when curriculum mapping is done at the course, the session, assessment, and even resource level within Vita Nova, and again, we, we, we are allowing tagging of resources so that learners can understand exactly which resources can be used to help them from a content perspective, you know, as it relates to their curriculum, all levels of users, including learners, will understand how the curriculum relates at both the big picture, but also down at the very granular level. We also know that schools need to be able to demonstrate how their curriculum spirals. So that's another big, big ask. And actually, as discussed, you know, previously on one of your Raise the Line podcasts, I saw you guys covered some uh, some of the spiral curriculum conversation. Our taxonomy management module innovate across tagging functionality not only allows for learners to understand how the specific curriculum they're being taught on a given day relates to the rest of the curriculum, but ultimately at what level they're being taught. So for example, you know, if an institution wants to track a Blooms-like taxonomy, they might want to know, are we teaching this topic at a foundational knowledge level or an advanced application level? And that's just one example. So in that case, users can, you know, cross-tag. I should say users can cross-tag to any taxonomy they wish. So maybe it's nothing to do with the Blooms at that, that point. Maybe it's something completely different that they want to sort of track as a meta piece of data, if you will. So having these data points, that's what really allows us to continue building on our foundational taxonomy management module to visualize learner performance and identify learners who might be struggling at which and at which outcome or objective they are struggling with. So that's obviously another piece that people ask for is be able to, to, to visually see that data. So being able to do what we just talked about, the cross-tagging, et cetera, we plan to leverage that capability to integrate with content providers such as Osmosis, for example, so that we can serve content to learners based on their performance on an outcome or objective or EPA or patient presentation, as an example, and then be able to pull in content that might be beneficial for them to help supplement their education in those areas where maybe they need some help. So that's the key point to make is that we've laid the foundation for us to now pull the data points to visualize learner performance via that concept map I talked about. And that I believe it's the first of its kind in the space. I haven't seen anything like it before in my last 20 years. And so, you know, that'll allow for all levels of users within Nova to be able to see and understand entire curricular framework and their overall performance within the program while also being able to drill down to those most granular levels to really focus in on their performance in those specific areas. That's the goal really is to ensure educators and learners can see where improvements can be made with ease. 
that was probably a long-winded answer to your question. No, that's very helpful. I mean, that's something we focus on quite a bit too at Osmosis. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how the systems can talk to each other. That that's always a challenge in these environments where schools may have three or four different platforms yeah. and there might be multiple logins. The data is not necessarily shared. And often faculty and administrators and even students can get very frustrated by the complexity yeah. of having those multiple systems. What are you trying to do at Phoenix to resolve that frustration? Yeah. And, and so, you know, having had experience and again, being responsible for an IT, for the faculty, you know, at the IT level, trying to have disparate systems exist it just doesn't work, at least I, I found in my experience. It set us up for a lot of trouble in different areas. Now, again, we did build a bespoke solution that, that ended up becoming that sort of all-in-one, if you will. And it worked well for that institution, but ultimately it was tough to transition it to others. So for us, what we've we've done is try to basically create the foundational pieces. I keep referencing foundational because as an example, having had discussions with Osmosis previously about how you guys track your your content and at what level they're supposed to sort of engage the learner at, whether it's the, you know, the foundational or the advanced application level, being able to actually support that type of, as I called it earlier, sort of metadata around the curriculum that was key for us to build that in early because if we didn't we wouldn't necessarily be able to have that type of integration that i that i envision and hope for as we as we continue to grow and move through through to the future but you know and and some schools i think probably you know will continue to have those disparate systems sometimes they think the best of breed for a given problem they have is the best approach but at the end of the day it does set them up with sometimes multiple logins which is you know definitely an annoyance but you can overcome that but it's the to me, the, the disconnected data, I mean, it, it really is hard if you don't have that platform that can connect all those data points for you, that you're not having the redundancy of cross-entering or, or exporting and importing to other systems. That really gives you the best chance, I, I feel, at understanding those things we talked about. You know, how does the curriculum spiral? Where is it being taught? When is it being assessed? How are learners performing, most importantly? Those are the pieces that I think are maybe not unanswerable, but very difficult to answer with with disparate systems. And, and depending on the system, there are some that, you know, that track all that information, but they're not very good at actually surfacing and visualizing it. So that, that was a key for us. So what would a podcast in the year of 2023 be without a conversation about artificial intelligence? So uh, yes. I have to ask, what are your thoughts on AI in medical education? And, you know, we've all seen the articles about the chatbots trying to take the medical exams and to varying degrees of, of success. And w w what's your take on all this? How does it impact your business? And, and maybe take a step back and think about the sector as a whole. That's a great question. And definitely it's 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 going to change the landscape. I do recall a conversation back as my role as, you know, competency-based medical education technical lead sitting at the, the assessment subcommittee that we had formed with a number of program directors from the GME programs and our director of assessment evaluation, Dr. Laura McEwen. And, uh, you know, I remember... I was trying to, you know, I had the concept of a natural language processing, obviously not necessarily AI, but just a type of tech that could help potentially with some of the decision-making processes around is a student, you know, based on feedback that we're seeing, is it, you know, that's always positive about this person? Are they, plus the assessment data that's in there that's been done by that expert or the experts that have been watching them, you know, complete the, the whatever it was they were performing that day? Is there some way of us creating a mechanism to help help make that decision of, yes, they're competent or no, they're not? And yes, they are. Well, they're ready to move on to the next 
level or stage, if you will. And I remember one of the faculty members and program directors saying, you know, that basically they didn't want to leave it up to the computer to determine that and that they had computers in their heads, basically, if I remember her wording correctly, that that they can they should be the ones making that decision, not the, not the machine. So, I mean, I think you're going to get different ends of the spectrum there. I'm sure there's people that would think that it makes total sense to let the AI make that decision. But I feel like there's probably a sweet spot where you can introduce it. It can be a, it can be something to support and help with the decision-making, for instance, in that example. But I don't think you ever want to let it drive the bus completely on its own. The educators know the nuances, I think, better than at least AI can now. Maybe maybe later it can understand it better. But there's just certain things, that gut feeling, if you will, also about a learner that someone might have or that that's shared across a number of people that, that AI just wouldn't be able to, to, to get. So I think there's probably... And I know we're going to be looking at it. We are looking at it in different, different, you know, for different possible functionality. But it's, I think it's always going to come back to that, you know, our educators as experts and and leaning on them to to be the ones to make those important decisions about how a learner's performing and where they need to to get help. I think it's important to surface that. And 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 if AI can help do that, obviously, then we will we'll do that. But end of the day, always putting the, the, the educator in the driver's seat, I think is, is sort of my take on it. Yeah, that's helpful. And at least right now, it seems like the error rate with a lot of medical topics is, is still high enough to Absolutely. Give, give everyone a, a bit of pause on AI, yeah. but that'll probably change though, you know, as, as the months go by. Maybe if you talk a little bit about the team behind you, you covered a, a lot of ground on this podcast, 20 years of experience, but I'm sure you're not doing it all yourself. No. So maybe yeah. talk a little bit about the team that you put together for this new venture. Sure, absolutely. So there's there's a number of us involved and I and I and I I could take the whole I think we're getting near the end of the podcast here and I could take I could take a couple hours just talking about how great each one of them are, but you know, first and foremost, Candace Miller is my chief customer success officer. She's got experience in a wide range of of topics and and at different levels. So she was on the administrative side of of running or helping run the curriculum committee and and has gone through curricular reform in the institution we used to work at, the university here. And she's then transitioned to actually come and work with me in the ed tech unit. So she got more of the tech side of things, then transitioned into becoming more that 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 user facing and, and customer facing role of, of supporting their needs. She's extremely organized. But the point I'm trying to drive across is the expertise is, is there from her perspective as it relates to the pedagogy and the the curriculum and, and how important it is to understand how that's structured. And so she's got a ton of, of advice that she's able to provide institutions that 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 may want it in regards to curriculum reform and those different aspects. I, I should have mentioned our motto is we know what it takes. That sounds very bold. And I was worried about it sounding arrogant because that is not at all me. At least I, I like to think that. But it, it is truthful in the sense that, you know, Devin Monroe, for instance, our team lead and software engineer, he's got over 10 plus years of experience developing as an embedded software developer within a health sciences unit. So again, boots on the ground, day-to-day experience, working closely with the faculty, staff, and learners. And really, I think that's what differentiates, I believe anyways, our team from from many others out there is that that experience is what has made us understand that this space truly needs a team to function that way as a vendor, if you will, or more as I like to look at as a partner with the institutions they bring on board. Because if you if you just go in with, here's our solution, this is how it works, and this is what it does, you know, and, and send a ticket to our support system when you need help, I don't think you're going to succeed. And I think that's why, at least from my experience and what I've seen over the last number of years, people bouncing from one vendor to another, trying to find that the, the balance of that product and that team that really can truly deliver for them. And that's 100% what we're going to be. 
and what I'm striving to be with with Fenex Alma Solutions and, and our team. So again, I just mentioned a few. There's you know there's a there's a there's a number of other people. Joe, Corinne, Ivan, some great great other team members we have. Again, essence of time, I won't speak to all of them, but at the end of the day, it's our expertise. I think that really is what differentiates us. That's helpful, and it's often challenging for medical schools to build up that kind of diverse an expert team on the technology front. So I'm sure you're, you're adding a lot of value as a teaching and content company. You know, osmosis, we're always looking for feedback on what we could be doing better or what we may be missing. So, you know, given your perch in this ecosystem, what advice would you have for teaching and content companies right now in the era of AI and disruption in medical education? Yeah, that's a great question. So for, for, for software companies and content providers, I think, I mean, and, and this is probably, I'm sure sounds like, you know, well, of course we do that, but it's to really truly listen. And I think that's hard. That's a lot. That's very difficult for some as they scale, for sure. That's something that, that is at the heart of what we plan on doing and what we are doing with our institutions. Is, and, I, and I refuse to let go of that is to make sure we have the right people in place to, to truly listen to what's being asked and, and to then, and to be flexible, I guess, too. I know you can't necessarily create a custom bespoke solution just because the school says they need it or, you know, or, or a bespoke piece of content that's not going to help anybody else. But oftentimes there's an underlying theme there that does connect the dots with other asks that have come from other people. And again, you can only do that if you're truly listening to the conversations and, and questions and topics that are being posed. So I guess that's the advice I would give. I feel like that's the the only way, honestly, to be successful in this space, you know, we, we work with a lot of type A personalities and, 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 you know, they, you can often dismiss perhaps what's being asked because, you know, they just want it that way, so to speak, but that's not, that's not the case. They, they want it that way because they need it. And the, you know, the, the question you have to ask is why do they need it? Right. And ask them that and, and then really dig down because maybe there's another way to do what they're trying to do or, or, or solve the problem they have with something that's already in place. Or, or you just need to understand it better to be able to then provide them with a solution that will work not only for them, but other other users of your platform or content or whatever it might be you're, you're trying to deliver. I don't know if that answers the question very well, but that's, I guess, the advice I would give. I appreciate that. That's very helpful. And as we wrap up here, we have a lot of students who listen to the podcast, a lot of early healthcare professionals. What advice would you have for them, again, in this age of disruption, dislocation in some ways, you know, as, as they embark on a career in healthcare or, or technology, uh, you know, what would you tell, tell yourself, you know, your younger self based on what you know now? I would say definitely leverage the, the technology tools that are at your disposal. I mean, d don't be afra afraid to demand and really demand user-centered design. And I sort of talked about that earlier, our, our iterative collaborative approach to kind of everything we do in addition to the development side of things. But for the learners that say voice your opinion when a solution doesn't meet your needs and you know provide feedback to support further development if if a company or a vendor or or, or a homegrown shop doesn't respond to your feedback call them out on it i mean this is your education and then as an end user your experience really matters like that's what should be driving the product or the solution or whatever's being offered and that is exactly why you know we believe so strongly in our customer first approach as differentiator and and we're fortunate enough to have Candace driving that that home for us. If you have the chance, provide feedback directly to IT at your institution. 
So it's critical that they truly understand the problems you face on a daily basis so that you can try to help solve them. I find that having the chance to have those direct conversations really helps in identifying solutions. Again, sort of the ability to ask why, the ability to have those conversations really gets to the, the finish line. And similar to what we just, you know, what I what I've, I guess I, I haven't really chatted too much about today, but something that was on my mind coming into this podcast was, you know, learners should be advocating for their own education and have a strategy for reflection in order to identify gaps or weaknesses in their learning as early as possible to help overcome them. So again, whether that's, you know, it's part of the strategy, of course, again, I mentioned leveraging tech tools at disposal, but making sure that there is something there that allows you to understand where you're succeeding, where perhaps you're maybe a little weaker and, and be able to overcome those weaknesses through whether it's, you know, content, additional content providers outside of your institution, if the curriculum there is not maybe giving you enough of what you need in that space to be able to at least identify the curriculum in your institution and the resources they have in place as well. So that's really the advice I'd give, I guess. That Thanks. And, and does the platform you're creating give learners that ability to be proactive about giving feedback to faculty members so they can kind of raise their hand and say, I need more help in this area? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got built-in chat so they can reach out to their mentors or, or instructors or faculty if they so choose and the faculty want that. Of course, that's a setting. Again, we want to make sure everything's configurable in Nova, so we're able to turn that on because maybe some institutions might not like that, but absolutely. And so direct messaging in the app itself. There's also, at least from a, a student perspective, what we're striving for is, again, I mentioned the ability to, to I think anyways, potentially tag resources within Vitanova. So when you create a session and you schedule a session, you're able to upload resources to that session for the learners. So it's not just at the course level, which is what a typical LMS would do. It's at a more granular level. So, you know, on this given date and time, we're learning about X and there's been, you know, Y and Z uploaded as resources. We're able to tag Y and Z with different curricular objectives they may cover so that the learners are then able to go and search for those those components later when they realize hey you know i see in the in the learner learner performance visualization engine that we that we're you know we're putting forward that we're struggling in this area but i need to i need to go and review that in more detail and maybe i need to reach out to osmosis and and get the content that covers this right so yeah there's there's tools definitely within vita nova to support those those sort of feedback loop if you will and and then ultimately the ability to reinforce perhaps areas of weakness and, and get better Absolutely. Fantastic. Of course, we're always open to referrals, Andrew. We appreciate that. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. All right. Well, I think we're at time. Andrew, incredibly informative. You're very generous with your insights. And I think our audience is going to learn a lot listening to this podcast today. Any final words from you? No, I think just want to say thank you. appreciate the opportunity. I've been watching Osmosis. Uh, you guys have done a great job and continue to, to grow. And yeah, I'm just really happy to be part of the podcast today and hopefully share some of the insight I've picked up over the last couple of decades in this space and, and just to share a little bit about what we're doing with Vita Nova VLE and, and our company at Fenix Alma Solutions. So thank you very much, Derek. I appreciate your time. Thanks. It was certainly our pleasure. Best of luck to you and your team. We're definitely rooting for you. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Derek Apinovich. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.